0: Thank you, worship team. That was beautiful. Thank you for helping us to sing to the Lord. Good morning. Good morning, ladies. Thank you so much for coming today. I'm so glad you are here. It's so great to see you. I'm Deb Haygood, part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it's an honor and a joy for me to be here with you today as well. Thank you so much for coming. And I also want to welcome West Campus that's joining us today. We're very glad to have you with us as well. Thank you for those praises, Um, ladies. We lifted those praises up along with you. Thank you for that. We are studying Psalms this semester. Individual Psalms. Each one is the expression of a writer who responded to God in light of his individual particular circumstance when he wrote the Psalm. The Psalms are responses to God, they're prayers. They're prayers, and they're also poems set to music, so the psalms are songs, and we're learning as we study these prayer songs how to honestly lift up our own prayer songs to the Lord in our own individual circumstances. Life is hard, and the psalms reflect that, with uh, many psalms that are a cry of distress or pain to the Lord. And we call those laments. And we've already looked at two psalms of lament. The first week we looked at a lament of distress and great um, pain and despair. And then last week we looked at a lament that was complaint and doubt, asking, life doesn't seem fair. And when we study these, we learn words and attitudes for um, our own times of despair and doubt, words that we can lift up to the Lord. We've also looked at a praise psalm. We looked at 103, how God has called us each to sing songs of praise to the Lord, for he alone is worthy. And now today we're going to look at a psalm of confession. Confession of sin. It's that honest praying to God, our weaknesses, our failures, our wrongdoing, and for most of us, it's really hard. It's really hard to go to God in confession. You know, it doesn't seem like when we're in pain, crying out to God is too, too hard. And, you know, when things are good and we're thinking about who God is, uh, praising God isn't too hard. But confession, confession is difficult. And why is that? Why is that? I have a book. Um, it's an old book, 20 years old. Some of you might have seen it. It is a book of children's letters to God. And the author collected these letters because he was kind of doing research um, about how children think about God and life and how that all works together. And he compiled them in a book. And it's pretty humorous, the things that they write to God. Um, <clears throat> and as I looked through these letters, these prayers to God, I only found one letter of confession in the whole book so it's hard for children too to confess and i thought i would read it to you it's it's kind of funny but it also gives us insight into why it's difficult to confess to the lord dear god i want to confess that i stole bubble gum from the 7-eleven last year that was a long time ago but that was still bad i want to tell you that i did not like the gum it made me sick And the baseball cards in it had no all-stars, mostly just guys from the Cleveland Indians and the Seattle team. So, I was punished like I deserve. (laughs) Please forgive me. X. It's the only one in here that doesn't sign their name. He's written an X. Please forgive me. X. Age 9. I love that. Uh, It's funny, but it's so humorous. You know, we are just like that. We kind of put off confessing to God um, for a long time, for for years. This guy, it was a whole year. He's nine. It was a long year, but he's still thinking about that because it was bad. But we want to rationalize our sin. It was bad, but hey, I didn't like the gum anyway. It made me sick. So maybe it wasn't all that bad. And guess what? No all-stars in it. So I was really kind of punished already. You know, please forgive me. But I'm sort of hiding out just in case. You know, that's kind of how we are. We um, don't go to God maybe because we're thinking, uh, what's he going to do? What's he going to do when he hears what I've done? Or we try to hide from him as if we can. And we know we can't, but somehow we still do that. We try to avoid him and hide from him. Or we try to rationalize our sin. Hey, the gum wasn't good anyway. You know, it made me sick. And sometimes we do get sick when we don't take our... Our sins and confess them to the Lord. And I love Psalm 32. We're going to look at it today because David gives us some great insight and great encouragement about confession. Psalm 32 is called a confession psalm. In fact, the early church classified it as one of the seven penitential psalms. Now, the word penitential means psalms um, that cry out in remorse, seeking forgiveness. Psalm 32 is also a wisdom psalm. We said that wisdom psalms um, express truths about life. And Psalm 32 gives us the great truth of God's forgiveness and mercy for the repentant sinner. Psalm um, 32 is about confession. Um, Confession of sin, we know, is an important part of prayer. Even though it's difficult, it's important. And David is going to really tell us in this psalm why confession is so important. Let's begin with the definition of confession I have on your uh, outline. It's sharing our deepest weaknesses and failures with God so that we may enter God's grace and mercy and experience his ready forgiveness and healing. Simply put, sin leads to torment. Confession leads to deliverance. Sin leads to torment Confession leads to deliverance. It's a good thing. The Greek word for confession means to agree with God. We don't deny what we've done. We admit oneself guilty before the Lord. That is confession. Confession is praying our sins. It's coming to the truth about ourselves and then receiving forgiveness, finding out how God treats sinners. Eugene Peterson says, praying our sin isn't resolving not to sin anymore, It's discovering what God has resolved to do with us as sinners. Have you ever thought of it like that? In Psalm 32, David has made this discovery about himself and about God, and he shares it with us. And Psalm 32 is important for every one of us in this room today. And why is that? Because we are all sinners On your verse sheet, Romans 3.23 tells us that very thing. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And confession is the way to obtain peace with God. Through confession, we receive his mercy. For he forgives our sin and he makes us clean. He heals us. That's what happens when we confess and then receive God's forgiveness. So let's turn to Psalm 32 and get started. And the first thing that we see is the superscription, and it says, a mascal of David. So we know that David wrote this psalm, but we're not sure exactly what mascal means. Now, some people think that it is a musical term, and we've talked a lot about how the psalms uh, were used in worship. When David was king, they worshiped God in the tabernacle. It was that elaborate tent where the Spirit of God dwelt. They worshiped God there, and then David's son Solomon built the permanent structure, the temple. And we've talked a lot about how the musicians and the people sung these psalms during their worship time, in the tabernacle and later in the temple, during the festivals and feast times and the celebrations. The word "mascul" comes from a verb that means to be prudent or to be wise. So mascal could mean a psalm of contemplation, a song imparting moral wisdom. ...or maybe simply a skillful song. We know that Psalm 32 is a psalm with great wisdom... ...and we would be well to contemplate it. So let's read this entire psalm and see what it has to tell us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven... ...whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity... ...and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is a short psalm, just 11 verses, but every verse is packed with such meaning. And David uh, tells us right in the first two verses the great truth of his psalm. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that God deals graciously with the repentant sinner. God is merciful. He is a forgiving God. Blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. Blessed. Blessed. Now, that's kind of a churchy word. It's sort of a religious word. And sometimes when we hear blessed, we sort of, you know, what exactly does that mean? Well, blessed means God's gracious favor on someone. It's God's gracious favor. Now, you might have talked in your class, other words, I mean, in your small groups, other words um, that come to mind with blessed it could be happy, very happy, or lucky, or fortunate, favored. It could mean good. I have a story of my son, Ben, when he was a little guy, um, probably first or second grade. Um, we would sit down for dinner, and we would take turns praying before we ate. And um, when Ben was probably in about first grade, he started this thing when uh, at the end of his prayer, he would say, and make this food good, amen. Amen. And so this went on for a couple of weeks, and I thought, finally, because, you know, it's all about me, Ben, do you not like this food? I mean, does my food not taste good? What? And he looks at me with this, these wise eyes of a seven-year-old, and he says, Mom, I'm not saying bless this food. I'm saying make this food good. And I thought, okay, that's what blessed means to Ben. He had figured this out. It means For God to make it good. And I thought that really is a good definition of blessed. And I thought in this situation, you're making it good for me, Lord, when you forgive me. It is good for the man to be forgiven of sin. It's good. We also see the word blessed here two different times. And the second time is very interesting because blessed is in the plural. It's kind of like saying blessednesses. It's very, very good. Very favorite. It's the plural of blessed. Very good there. And then David uses several words for wrongdoing. And I love this. He uses several words. The first one we see there is transgression. Now, Charles Spurgeon says that the meaning of transgression is rebellion. And we're all familiar with rebellion. God wants us to do it his way, and we say, I'm going to do it this way, which really is saying it my way. I'm going to do it my way and it starts early notice that you know you tell your little one don't throw your toys and then they get a little bit bigger share your toys and a little bit bigger pick up your toys and the child usually just says no no i want to do it my way god tells us don't gossip and we gossip god tells us to forgive one another and i say no i'm not going to forgive him god tells us to be generous and we say no it's mine. We're all familiar with rebellion. And then the next word we see there is sin. Sin. Sin means missing the mark, falling short. Um, someone said today it's kind of not even aiming for the right mark. So you, um, you don't hit the target. It's an archery term that means you don't hit the target. My failings and weaknesses and shortcomings are sin. We say to God, I didn't do it because I'm lazy or I'm prideful or I'm... Um, unkind or i'm apathetic and then the third word we see is iniquity now iniquity means perversion it's going outside the um the proper course kind of like going beyond the boundaries outside the boundaries and i love that description thinking of that and this is talking about uh immoral behavior uh sexual sins sins where we harm one another um physically immoral behavior But what David is really saying here with these three words is that there's all kinds of sin that we're involved in. And God forgives it all. God forgives all kinds of sin. Now, sometimes we want to overestimate our sin. That's what I call it, overestimating our sin. Because we say, well, God cannot possibly forget this thing that I've done. You just don't understand. He can't forgive this. And David is saying here, God forgives all kinds of sin. Don't overestimate your sin. Then David uses three words to describe God's pardon. Forgiveness, covered, and not counted. Now, forgiveness, forgiven there, forgiven means to put away, to uh, carry off. The word covered uh, could mean the wax tablets that they had way back when. And you take that little stylet and you would write on the wax. And then they would take it and smooth it out. They would cover over the words. Smooth that out to write again. That could mean covered. Kind of like writing on the blackboard with chalk and covering it over with the eraser, erasing it. And then that last one, um, not counted. It's not counted against him. Not counted against him. I love these images, but we um, have some even greater images that we see in Scripture, so I've got on your verse sheet some verses where God talks about forgiveness. Isaiah 43:25, 40, God's saying this: "I, I am He who blots out transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins." He's not going to remember them. He's going to blot them out. And then Jeremiah 31:34, God says, For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Micah 7, 18 and 19, Micah's a prophet, and he says this about God. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And Psalm 103:12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. One time someone told me when you're walking um, east, you never get to the west. You're always walking east. You're always walking east. And I thought, that's how far it is. That's why we have that analogy in Scripture. God forgives our sin. He is a forgiving God. But I don't want us to miss that last line in verse 2. It says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is talking about the one who goes to God with honesty. God just doesn't throw forgiveness out there like a blanket. God forgives the one who comes to him in honesty, who honestly confesses his sin. It's sincere confession. I must truly recognize my sin against God. I must have a sincere awareness. I have to own up to it. Sometimes we say that a lot today. I have to own it. We have to own our sin and come honestly before God with it. Then in verses 3 and 4, David tells us his personal experience with unconfessed sin. So let's look at these descriptive words there. It says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. That is physical pain, physical agony. Through my groaning all day long, mental and emotional agony. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Day and night, David felt God's hand heavy upon him. David was experiencing God's displeasure. David, the man after God's own heart, was suffering because he was not in a right relationship with the Lord. He felt God's displeasure, and it was agony. And then it says, My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Okay, any of you that have spent one summer in Fort Worth, Texas, know exactly what he's talking about there. I mean, just walking across your backyard when it's 105 outside, you're totally exhausted. You have no strength. You feel like your energy is totally sapped. That's how David's feeling, day and night, all day long. He is in agony. Now, maybe some of you are out there thinking, hey, Deb, I Really feel all that upset over my sin. I don't really feel that much agony over my sin. You know, I thought a lot about that as I read this because sometimes I feel like that too. And so I thought about it. Why is that? And I thought possibly because I underestimate my sin. I underestimate, and maybe that's where you are too, you underestimate your sin. We've done such a good job at rationalizing our shortcomings, such a good job of making light of our failings, that our rebellion is hardly recognizable to us, much less do we agonize over it. We hardly even notice it. So there's no agony there. That's why confession is so important. Because talking to God about my sin helps me come to the truth about who I am. I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. It brings me to a place of humility, realizing who I am in light of who God is. A holy God. It's said that um, Augustine, we call him St. Augustine or Augustine, he was the great theologian in the late 300s. He was a writer. He's well known for his eloquence, his logic, his spiritual passion. And it's said that his favorite psalm was Psalm 32. And he had it written out and placed above his bed. So it was the first thing he saw every morning when he woke up. And it was because, he said, the beginning of understanding is to know thyself a sinner. The beginning of understanding is to know thyself a sinner. When we realize this, when we face um, our sin, instead of ignoring it or rationalizing it, then we can go to God and we can find forgiveness and we understand who God is. I have a great quote here by George Whitefield and it says, The more we see of God and his glory, the more we become aware of indwelling sin. And therefore, the more we find repentance to be a way of life. The more that we know God, the more that we see who he is, the glorious, majestic God, the more we become aware of our shortcomings. Our weaknesses, our failings, and then confession and repentance becomes a way of life. It becomes easier for us. And I think that's why David um, cries out to God in Psalm 139 on your verse sheet. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So what does David do with this agony? Well, he goes on with his story in verse 5 and tells us, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Just like that. David confesses to God, God forgives him. Just that fast. David honestly acknowledges his sin, and God forgives him. It's just that simple. Just that quick, and you get the feeling that David is still standing in wonder and awe of what has happened, that God has forgiven him. The key verse here is this verse, verse 5. And so you might want to put a star by it or underline it because this is the most important statement in the whole psalm. It's also uh, the longest verse in the whole psalm. David is shouting, I confessed and God forgave. I confessed, God forgave. The remedy for his agony is confession. Confession. He's saying, talk to God. Tell him your disobedient ways and find forgiveness. Mother Teresa tells us, if you feel the weight of your sins, do not be afraid. He is a loving father. God's mercy is much greater than we can imagine. Psalm 103 tells us that as well. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. God is merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. So, what was David's sin? It was probably his sin with Bathsheba, and um, I hope you read 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. That's where it tells us this story. I'm going to summarize it briefly. David is king, and um, his army is fighting against the Ammonites, and David has not gone to war with them. He usually does, but this time he has stayed at home, and he's in his palace. He's wandering around on his rooftop. He seems to be a little restless, and he looks out, and he sees Bathsheba, and he wants her. So he has Bathsheba brought to him. He sleeps with her. And then uh, later on, she sends him word, I am pregnant. And David is in a jam because Bathsheba is married to Uriah. Now, Uriah is one of his soldiers that's fighting um, against the Ammonites. And so David um, decides, I've got to cover this up. So he brings Uriah home and he says, how's the war going? Uh, good. Okay, well, you go home and sleep with your wife tonight. And uh Next morning, he finds out Uriah is a man of integrity. He has slept in the fields with his soldiers. And so he brings Uriah to him and he says, hey, why didn't you go home last night? And Uriah says, Lord, I can't um, go home and make merry with my wife when my soldiers are out in the fields sleeping. So David gets him drunk, thinking this will work. But Uriah still goes out to the fields and sleeps with his soldiers. So now David is um, desperate. So he calls in the commander of the troops and he says, go where the fighting is fiercest and put Uriah right out in front and then draw back and let the enemy kill him. And that's what happens. And after Bathsheba mourns uh, Uriah for a while, David brings her into the palace and he marries her. She has the baby. And the very last verse in chapter 11 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven says this, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What he had done displeased the Lord. And then chapter 12 opens up and it's about a year later from when he first um, slept with Bathsheba. And you kind of get the feeling David's trying to forget what he's done. And so The Lord sends Nathan, a prophet, to David to tell him this story. And so he begins to tell him this story about a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man had many, many sheep. And the poor man had just one little lamb. And he loved that lamb. It was almost like a child to him. And the rich man had some guests come to his home uh, for dinner. And he needed a lamb to prepare for the supper. And so instead of using one of his many sheep... He goes and he takes the lamb from the poor man and he kills him and serves him for dinner. And David is outraged. It said he was so angry and he begins to say, that man deserves death and he needs to pay that man back four times over. And Nathan looks at him and quietly says, David, you are the man. You are that man. And David is crushed by the reality of sin. He is overwhelmed with the sorrow of his sin against the Lord. And Psalm 51 is the psalm that David writes uh, in confession to the Lord. And it's a great psalm. You want to write that down, Psalm 51, and read it. It has all the elements of of confession. You see David's heartbreak and his sorrow as he confesses to the Lord and asks for forgiveness. But I want to point out to you verse 13. Right after David asks for God to restore the joy of his salvation... Psalm 51, 13, David says this, Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. It could be that David wrote Psalm 32 to do that very thing, to teach us as sinners to go to God in confession of our sin and turn back to God and experience his forgiveness. Because these next verses we're going to read are an, an encouragement to do that very thing. So let's go on and look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Turn back to God, David says. Talk to him. Because God is our safe place. When it says godly there, it means all you who have a relationship with the Lord. Or want a relationship with the Lord. Pray to him. Confess to him. Godly doesn't mean um, without sin. We've just said that we're all sinners. Godly there means to think about our sin like God thinks about our sin. Confess it. Because God forgives us. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. Favored. Good. Good. It's the man who's forgiven. We want to be right with God because he is our safe place. When those mighty waters of trouble, uh, distress come into our life and they threaten to overwhelm us, to drown us, God is our safe place. We want to be able to find him, to go to him. We don't want to be lost without him because of our unconfessed sin. We want to be in that safe place when the waters of life threaten to overtake us. (laughs) Um I don't know how many in fact how many of you have ever been to El Tesoro? El Tesoro is the campfire camp. Few of you out there, okay, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um you remember there is a bridge that goes over, I think it's the Brazos River, into the camp El Tesoro. And it's really high up. I would say like 20 or 30 feet is the bridge above this river. And I think it just must be part of the Brazos. Anyway, it's usually like barely, it's so dried up, barely even, you know, like a little trickle and you can kind of walk across it on stones. But we get into camp over the bridge. Okay, when my daughter was young, um, we were out at El Tesoro uh, with her campfire group. I was just helping the leader. I wasn't the leader and it had rained all night long and the next morning was Sunday and I was going to leave early because I was coming back to play bells um, at church, the bell choir. So I had gotten my stuff and had walked out and it had kind of stopped raining. It was just drizzling and I get to the bridge and I am shocked because the river is almost all the way up to the bridge and it is flowing so fast and there's tree limbs and there's tires and there's all kinds of stuff flowing and I... I, like, stepped back thinking, how could this have happened with that rain? And I thought, if I would fall in that, I would drown. I mean, nobody could make it. The water was going so fast and so turbulent. And it only needed to get just a little bit higher. And it was going to take out that bridge. Needless to say, I didn't make it. Back. That's when the creek rises and uh, you don't get back to the uh, bell choir i went back to the group and i said you guys everybody in the camp was stranded until late that afternoon when the waters began to go down and we could get across the bridge but the thing was it was so shocking to me and sometimes that's how the troubles in life are they overtake us that quickly like a flood and god is our safe place he's our high place and we want to be able to go to him Don't let unconfessed sin keep you from finding him in the troubles of life. And then it says that he is our hiding place. He's our refuge. He's our shelter. Hiding place. It's where we go. We feel secure. And I have a story about that. I was in the Woodlands this past weekend. And my little grandson Dylan is seven. He's in first grade. And he said, Grammy do you want me to take you to my hiding place? And I said, yes, I've been thinking about hiding places. Let's go see your hiding place. And so we um, walked up to a school. It's about a mile, and there's these trees all in a big clump, kind of up on a little, not a hill, but it's just a little bit of a rise, and there's these holly things all grown around in it. But you can get down through this little opening that he had found, and once you get in, you can stand up in the middle of this um trees and brambles and bushes and you can see out but nobody can really see you and he showed me the different ways out and he was just so happy with his smile and I said Dylan what do you like about your hiding place and he said well no one can see me it's kind of safe here it makes me happy and I thought that is what God is he is our hiding place he is safe. We can go there when those troubles and distresses in life are about to overtake us. We can go there and hide in God. But sometimes with our unconfessed sin, we are busy hiding from God. We want to avoid him. We stop talking to him. And then we forget to run to him because he's our hiding place. We've spent so much time hiding from God that we forget to hide in God. He is our hiding place. And he wants to surround us with songs of deliverance. He wants to pipe in songs of joy into the middle of that hiding place. Verse 8 and 9, David goes on um, to encourage us all the more for confession. He says, be not like a horse. Or no, first he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Okay, some theologians think that um, this is the Lord God speaking, and other theologians think this is David taking on the role of teacher. I, I'm not sure. Both ways make sense but what i do know is that this is the inspired word of god it's true and i also know that god wants to instruct us and to teach us and to counsel us and watch over us and that's possible when we're in a relationship with him so don't be stubborn as a mule as it says in verse nine refusing god's instruction confess your sin stay close to him Not running off like a wild horse. I love that image of uh, a wild horse. It kind of makes you think of the horse getting away and struggling and ending up in barbed wire. That's how we are when we don't stay close to the Lord. We get into big trouble. Or maybe you're in that burning barn. You've seen those horses and they panic and you just can't lead them out. Sometimes that's how we are when we're not close to God. We're panicked in that burning barn. David is encouraging us. He's saying, use the remedy. It's confession. Confession brings forgiveness. It's deliverance. It's healing and cleansing. It's that close walk with God that protects us. David's just shouting it out. It's a blessing. Confession is a blessing because we receive God's forgiveness. And then in verse 10, David gives us one more reminder because we are forgetful people, kind of slow to learn. And so he says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. And the NIV there says the woes of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Sorrows and woes for the wicked, but steadfast love surrounding the one who trusts in the Lord. You know, as I was reading this psalm, in uh, December, uh, I had watched this old movie, and um, it was with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz, and I can't even remember the name of it, but he was a CIA um, agent. It was kind of a comedy. A CIA guy, and Cameron Diaz doesn't quite know you know, if he really is that or, or what, and the bad guys are coming, and so he just stops, and he says, hey, with God, I can say I mean, with me, I can save you. Without me, you're a goner. You're toast. With me. I can save you. Without me, you're a goner. With me, without me. With me. And he kind of did that. And so finally she runs off with him. And I thought, this is what David is saying. Hey, with God, surrounded by his faithful love. Without God, woes and sorrows. With God, faithful love. Without God, woes and sorrows. What's it going to be? With God or without God? Now, without God, we know that some of the people that um, look pretty good That are not walking with the Lord. Amy told us about that last week. They look good on the outside. But on the inside they are empty and unsatisfied. And the culture around us says don't get caught. Deny it. Suppress it. Cover it up. All for the sake of prosperity. Or success. Even competence. We sometimes culture thinks that the guy that gets away with it is pretty clever. And David is saying just the opposite. He's saying that's backwards. They're going to know sorrow and destruction. I'm recommending that you yield to God, that you confess your sin because God's steadfast love, his loyal love, his compassion and his mercy will surround you. That is why confession is so important. It reminds us of who we are. Sinners making mistakes, messing up, needing God Confession brings us to the truth about ourselves and the truth about God. That God is merciful and quick to forgive and forgives completely. And then what is our response to be when we have experienced God's forgiveness? David tells us in verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David says, Be glad, rejoice, Shout for joy. And the uh, NIV says, sing, sing out to the Lord. Let the joy of being forgiven spill over in praise. Now, I just want to take um, a minute here to talk about that upright, that righteous, what it means as New Testament Christians, um, what those words righteousness and forgiveness means. Now, we know that righteousness comes from believing God. It always has in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Righteousness comes from believing God. Romans 4.4 reminds us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But the penalty of our sin uh, in the Old Testament was covered. It required the shedding of blood. And so that's why the sacrificial system was in place. And the sacrificial lamb was so important. But we learned in Luke last semester that Jesus came into the world to bring a new way, to bring a new covenant. Jesus, God the Son, perfect man, would die on the cross. Jesus, the Lamb of God, would be the perfect sacrifice. He would shed his blood to cover our sin, to make atonement, to take the penalty of our sin, yours and mine, once and for all. Hebrews 10, uh, 9 and 10 on your verse sheet says, He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, we believe in Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus. That's called a confession of faith. God sees us as righteous. He sees us through the blood of Jesus. And our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future our sins are forgiven and we are heaven bound we are going to heaven and we are going to spend eternity with the lord and nothing can destroy that relationship but our behavior is sometimes still sinful we're still sinful in the way we act we have the holy spirit living in us and so sometimes we can make changes and do better but we still make mistakes and we mess up we're not perfect And it's that sin, that ongoing sin, that sometimes gets in the way of our close walk with the Lord. Because we start to avoid Him. We're not close to Him. And that's why we need confession. So that instead of hiding from God, we can go and hide in Him. That's why we need confession. That's why it is so important. Because confession brings us to the truth about ourselves and the truth about God. He is merciful. He is quick to forgive and to forgive completely. 1 John 1, 8, and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So David is saying confession is a great thing. It leads us to God's mercy and love and healing and cleansing. The more we go to God in confession, the more we realize the blessing, the joy of confession, the joy of forgiveness, and the less difficult confession becomes. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. And the application for us today, confess, be forgiven, and then sing to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a merciful and forgiving god thank you thank you lord for loving us so much father i just pray for each of us in this room that we would see confession as a blessing that we would run to you with those things in our life that we need to confess to you father we want you to be our hiding place we don't want to be hiding from you lord i just pray for each woman in this room and myself uh, included how grateful we are, Lord. Bless us in mighty ways. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Deb. I have um, one quick announcement. For the first time, Christ Chapel is sponsoring a Choose Life 5K. It's going to be on March 1st. Um, they're doing this to raise funds for faith-based pregnancy resource centers. If you would like more information or you would like to register to either walk or run, you can go to the website, which is www.chooselife5k.com. And then today is your small group lunch, so go and enjoy the fellowship of each other. Have a great afternoon.